if you'll join me this morning, we're going to talk. The, the scripture passage that's in the book is not correct. That was what Mark was uh, planning on doing. So I, I apologize for that. But um, if you will turn to Psalms 8 for me, please. We're going to be using a lot of scripture today. I'm going to be flipping back and forth, and I'll, I'll give you time to find these passages if you want to follow along with me on these and um just bear with me today because like like we said mark just let us know this morning and and i had this down as a sunday school lesson i had used it one time several months ago i can't remember it's been quite a while and so uh, you know when he called uh, sick today he had just asked me if i would do this today during the service so i'm going to try to make this a, a sermon instead of a sunday school class where i had planned on a lot of interaction with the people in the sunday school class but Anyway, this is what we're going to do today. We're talking about the omnipotence of God, so it's going to follow along with the series in the Sunday School on God's attributes, and um, so just uh, follow along with me as I read. Um, well, let me let me give a, a definition of a term here. Um, the difference attributes of God, and I know Doug and Mark are going to be going over all kinds of, of attributes. Um, the attribute I want to talk about today is the omnipotence of God. And um, the word omnipotence, is it comes from the Greek word uh, omni, meaning all, and the word potens, meaning potent or powerful. And it describes God as being all-powerful. As we read in Psalms 8, verses 3 through 5, uh, it says, When I consider... Your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And we remember how many times in the Old Testament God spoke to the patriarchs and told them that their descendants would be like the stars in the heavens, the grains of sand in the, uh, on the sea as in number. And to get an idea of how powerful and majestic God is, we will. I'm going to begin with a question about astronomy. And for those of you that were in the Sunday school class, I apologize. Some of this is going to be repetitious to you, but, but just uh, bear with me. This question, if you had a graph where one inch equaled one million miles, how far would it be to the next nearest star, not including the sun, apart from the sun, the next nearest star after that? If one inch were one million miles, would it be 100 feet, 300 feet, or 500 feet? If you think about that for a minute. The next closest star, uh, one mile is 5,280 feet, or 63,360 inches. I don't know if that, that helps you at all. Uh, this should help the distance from the earth to the sun. Some, most of you probably learned that in school. 93 million miles from the earth to the sun. To the next nearest star, if, if one inch was a million miles, how far do you think it would be? Um, it's not 100 feet, it's not 300 feet, it's not 500 feet. That was a trick question. <laughs> it, it's actually the distance 
from the earth to the next nearest star is the distance from Atlanta to Pittsburgh, which is 700 miles. Now let that sink in for a minute, how far it is just to the next star. You think about Abraham when he was looking up in the, in the sky when the Lord told him his descendants would be like the sands of the sea and the stars in the heavens. And Abraham, he's not impeded by, we have all these lights outside. If you live in a neighborhood and you're not out in the country, there's uh, outside lights everywhere um, and stuff. And you can't really see at night good like you can. It's not clear. If you get way out in the country where it's just dark, nothing, and you look up at the stars, you can see... A whole lot more than you can see when the when when there's light around it. It's kind of it hinders that. So if you think about when Abraham was sitting there looking at those stars and the promises that God was making to him, and and, and consider this: the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. It is approximately 25,000 miles around the Earth. 24,902 miles, I think, is the exact miles around the Earth. To circle the earth seven and a half times in one second would be how fast light travels. You can travel around the earth seven and a half times in one second. That being said, if you were looking at it, if you were looking at the light from that next nearest star, the light that you see from that star has been traveling for four and a half years before you see it. Now add the millions and millions of other stars that are farther away than that to the equation. You're left with two things that should stand out to you if it doesn't already. Now, the first thing is how small and insignificant we are compared to the vastness of God's creation. If you think about everything God created and how tiny we are in comparison, even though the scripture tells us that God created the heavens and earth, gave man dominion over all the creatures, and that's fine on this one planet. But they are entire universe out there that we, we can't see, we can't even fathom, we can't wrap our minds around the vastness of the things that God's created that we, we have no idea, we can't see. And so, um, just let, let that sink in for a minute. Then I'm going to read Psalm 8, verse 3. Again, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? That's three and four. And the son of man that you visit him. The second thing that we should consider is the power of God. Now, if you want to, you can turn with me to Psalm 19. And I'm going to read verse 1 and 2. Psalm 19, well, I said I was going to read one or two. I think I'm going to read one through six. Um, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day it utters speech, and night unto night it reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth in their, world, in their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So we, we think about the vastness of God's creation, 
And the, the, the scriptures tell us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day it is speaking to mankind of the power and the glory of God. And what that verse is telling us about God's creation is his greatness and his glory and his power. If we just think about those things, about the vastness of creation and the greatness and the glory and the power that God has. And um, like I said, we're going to be turning to a lot of verses. So if you if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Did I say 1 through 3? Well, I think I read four too. Um, the earth had no form. It was void. It was complete darkness. It was There was nothing. Nothing existed. Just darkness. God said, let there be light. In that instant, light was created. And St. Augustine called that power of God the divine fiat. It wasn't God's divine car. It was the divine fiat means the divine imperative. Or in Latin it just means let it be done. So God has the divine power to speak something into existence out of nothing. He didn't take particles that were already there and put them together. A lot of scientists, when they, you know, you talk with scientists today and they have all kinds of theories about how the universe began, but it all has an assumption that something was always here. Something was always here. It wasn't dust particles. It wasn't things floating around in the universe. It was God. God was always here. He has the power of creation within himself. And if you take God out of the, out of the equation and you go back far enough, you would have to have a, a time when nothing existed. And if you go back that far to a time when nothing existed and you have any common sense at all, you would know that if there was ever a time when nothing existed, nothing could exist now. Uh, science or not, if you have nothing, or the old adage is out of nothing, nothing comes. If you, if you start with nothing, you're never going to have anything. So something had to always exist. And whatever it was that existed had to have the power of being within itself and the power to create. And so, before I get off track, um, when we were kids, do any of you remember the little saying, you know, can God create a rock so big that he can't pick it up? I don't know if when you were kids, I, I remember hearing this, I probably said it too. You know, the, the question, can, you, can God create a rock so big he can't pick it up? Well, if you think about that, that kind of puts you on in, in a dilemma because if you say God can pick a, 
create a rock so big that he can't lift it, then you said there's something that God can't do. And if you say that God can't create a rock so big he can't pick it up, you've also said there's something God can't do. So that kind of puts you on the horn, horns of a dilemma. But even though we're talking about the omnipotence of God, the word omnipotent does not mean that God can do anything. The scriptures tell us about a lot of things that God cannot do. And what are some of those things that God can't do? God cannot lie. He cannot die. God can't be untrue to his word. And he certainly cannot create a rock so big that he can't pick it up. Because to say that would to take his authority over his creation away from him. Whatever God creates, he has the, the power and the authority to, to uh, <coughs> govern. He governs his creation. So it doesn't matter what God creates. He has the power to govern it. And if it's a rock, he has the power to pick it up and move it if he chooses to. Um, what would the ramifications be if there was anything in this universe, one atom floating loose in this universe, that was outside of the power, the control of God? If there was anything ever created that God created that he didn't have power of, we would be in deep, deep trouble. We, we could not have confidence that any single promise God ever made in his word would come true if we, if we acquiesced to the thought that some things God has no control of. If God's not sovereign over every single thing in creation, then we, you're, taking, you're taking his godness away. Um, if you would with, uh, turn with me to the, to the book of Revelation, to chapter 1 in the book of Revelation. I'm going to read verse 8 in chapter 1 of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And here again we see where God says He is almighty, all-powerful. He has all power. Uh, we, we note what Jesus says here about Himself. This is Jesus speaking. Alpha and Omega. The first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the ending. Notice the last part of that verse. He says almighty. And we know that Jesus was present at creation. As the Word of God. And here in Revelation, he ascribes the attributes of omnipotence to himself. And I'm going to turn to John 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, if you want to try to follow along. Um, in John 1, most of you are familiar with, with all these verses that I'm uh, reading. But in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So we see that God, Jesus was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, by him. God's power, though, is not just limited to creation. That same power 
that God used in creation is the same power that he uses to sustain the universe. We were just mentioned that earlier. Whatever God creates, he has the power to sustain. It's the same power that's used by God to redeem his creation. The same power that God used to call the world into existence is that same power that Jesus used when he stood by the grave of Lazarus, one of the most tender stories we read in all of Scripture where Jesus was at the grave of Lazarus and he actually wept. And Mary and Martha were just grieving uncontrollably and, and, and Jesus was there. But that same power that was used in creation was the same power that Jesus used when he stood by the grave of Lazarus and called him to come forth. And Lazarus' heart began to beat and his lungs filled with air. And life came back into his lifeless body. We remember the story of the disciples on the night when they were in the boat. The waters were raging. A terrible storm. They were absolutely terrified. Jesus was asleep in the boat. In Matthew 8, uh, verses 23 through 27. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it. You're welcome to turn there if you like to. Uh, Matthew 8, verses 23 through 27. It says, Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? I, I can't imagine. Uh, these guys were used to being out on the, on the, the water. They, they were mostly fishermen by trade. This was nothing new to them. So if they were terrified then it had to be a, a rough situation. And Jesus just laying there, sound asleep, um, which in a way you would think is surprising, but then if you really think about Jesus' life, as busy as he was, as much as he was always doing, and it would be, we read several times in Scripture, he had to retreat up into the mountains to get away from the crowds and to pray, and, and I don't know when he ever rested, but he got in this little boat, and I guess the waves rocked him to sleep. And he was, he was sound asleep. It's all providential, but, but he was sleeping in the boat, and these disciples were panicking. And they woke him up, and he, and he looked him right in the face after everything they had already seen at this point. But still, they were afraid, and he just looked at them and said, Why are you fearful, oh, you of little faith? I think about it in our life sometimes we go through trials and tribulations and we've already been through so much I couldn't begin to tell you in my lifetime how many times the Lord has answered prayer for me. Or usually when we look back on situations in our life we can see how the hand of providence led us and guided our steps. You know, scripture says man makes his plans but the Lord directs his steps. And how many times I can look back and see decisions that I made and just see how God was working in and through all those things to get me to where I am. And times when we have our own little storms in our life. Um, there's people sitting in this church today that life was, was going just fine. And everything was, well, the old word, hunky-dory. You didn't have any trouble, any problems. There. Life was just life and everything was good. And all of a sudden you get this phone call from the doctor. 
It's not good news. Um, we find out a parent is starting to repeat herself over and over. And we think, oh no, we know what's coming. They're, they're forgetting things. They're, they're falling a lot. And, and, you know, we see these things happen. We lose a job. Um, COVID hits, you know, and the world just turns upside down. And we wonder. Sometimes we lose heart. Uh, but Jesus, over and above all those things, is probably looking down at us and saying, Why are you fearful? Oh, ye of little faith. How many things have you already seen in your life that I have brought you through? Uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's usually not the verse we're quoting. We're usually just terrified. Uh, kind of like uh, in the Old Testament, all, all these things are against me. Well, no, all these things are not against you necessarily. All these things may be for you. So, um, we, we, we see um, how, how those disciples' fears were calmed, and then they were just totally amazed at the work of Jesus. And as Christians, if we just believe that the same power of God that was used in creation is the same power that the Holy Spirit uses when he breathes new life into a dead soul. What kind of difference would that make to us when we get out in the witness? If we knew that the same power that Jesus had when he just rebuked the sea, when he cast out demons, when he raised the little girl back from the dead, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, that same power in the form of the Holy Spirit is that power that can breathe life into a dead soul. We remember in Genesis when God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And the Bible says he breathed into him and he became a living soul. We're reading the New Testament. We're dead in trespasses and sins. And we're all headed uh, for uh, an eternity of, of uh, damnation. But the Holy Spirit comes in and breathes life into a dead soul. We, we couldn't see. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, how can a man be born again when he's old? The Lord told him, the wind blows where it will. You, you, you see the effects of it, but you don't know from where it came. The Holy Spirit breathes life into a dead soul. We weren't, uh, contrary to what most people say, we weren't running around seeking for God first. God sought us first. He breathed life into that dead soul and then our eyes were open. We realized our need for a Savior. We realized how lost we were and we can't. We come to Him in faith. Um, but it would make so much of a difference when we get out and witness. If we really believe that that much power was there and the ability of God to, to, to save a soul, we know it's true. I couldn't tell you how many times in my life I've been in situations and I didn't I say things to people that I know I should have said, and I thought, they're not going to listen. Those people are hard as a rock, and they'll just get upset, they'll get mad, and you just don't say anything. And somewhere in the back of our head, we should be thinking the verse, oh, you have little faith. You know, how many things, aunt, prayers have you seen me answer, and you don't, you don't trust me? Um... I believe it would make a huge difference in our life if we could just keep this in mind. And now I'm going to turn to Numbers chapter 11 for a story of Moses and the children of Israel. This is kind of an interesting story. It's kind of funny in a way. Um, probably wasn't funny to them, but it, it, it's, 
it is kind of when you go back and read it. In Numbers chapter 11, the people are complaining. They've been wandering in this desert. They had the manna. And um, they get to thinking about Egypt. You know, kind of like Lot's wife. They turn around, they're looking back. They're like, man, you know, we just had it. We had it made. You know, they forget all the, the years of complaining. You know, begging God to do something, deliver them. They get out in the wilderness and they start to complain. They grumble about the food they had to eat. They didn't like the manna. They were getting sick and tired of it. They wanted meat. They wanted something different. And so in this story, uh, we, we read how they grumbled and complained, and uh, they wanted to go back to Egypt, where they had their leeks and their garlic and their cucumber. And Moses had gotten so fed up with these people, he's begging God, just, just take me out of here. I can't deal with it. I cannot deal with these people. One more second. Just take me home. I don't care. These people are complaining. We've done everything in the world. They won't. They're just stiff-necked. And so God, um, he brought his complaint to God. What did God say to Moses? This is, this is kind of interesting. He told Moses, he says, okay, I've heard the people's complaint. I'm going to give them meat. I'm not going to give them meat for one day. I'm not going to give them meat for two days. Or for a week. But I'm going to give them so much meat it's going to be coming out of their nostrils. They're going to be so sick of it by the time they get through with it. They're never going to want to see it again. Moses struggled in his faith at this point. If we read in verses 18 through 23. If you'll turn to those verses 18 through 23. Let's see where 18 starts. It says, Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat. And you shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who was among you, and you have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? Now these people are wondering, Why in the world did they ever leave Egypt? And Moses said, The people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot, yet you have said, I will give them meat, that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And this is the crucial verse right here, the crux of this entire message. And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you will see whether what I say will happen to you or not. And like I was saying earlier, in my own life, and, and so many times in Scripture, we read where people's faith wavers. And out of everything Moses had seen, he stood by the Red Sea and saw it parted. And the winds blow and make two walls of water on both sides all night long while the people crossed over. He saw all the mighty works of God. And when God is dropping manna down from heaven, Every morning it's laying all over the ground. These people have something to eat. And then God says, okay, okay, I heard the, the cry. I'll give them meat. 
and I'll give them so much they're going to be sick of it. And then Moses asked the question, how, how are you going to do that? There's so many people. Out there. There's no way you can feed all these people. And you kind of scratch your head at like, Moses, you had done saw so many things. How in the world could you doubt what God says? But it's just typical of, of mankind. We we just tend to do those things. We do. We doubt when we know that God can be trusted, that God is faithful. Um so I'm, I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4, verses 32 through 39. And I'll read this to you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 through 39. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out in the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, a mighty hand and an outstretched arm? Or by great terrors according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God and there is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you. On earth he showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land as an inheritance, as it is this day. Therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And there is no other. We see here how God is clearly reminding them of all the things that he has shown them and done for them through the many signs and wonders and miracles that he performed. In other verses, he recounts to them how he had sustained them for 40 years. Their clothes and their sandals did not wear out. He had provided for them food and water in spite of all of their constant complaining. And lastly, I want to turn to Luke chapter 1. If you would turn there for me, please, and we'll be bringing this to a close here. In Luke chapter 1, we read about the angel's visit to Mary. And it, it says here about the angel's visit with Mary, it says, And the angel answered her, saying, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, that child that will be born to you will be called the Holy, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary was also told about Elizabeth conceiving and having a son. Mary goes to visit her, and then sings 
the song that we call the Magnificat in verses 46 through verse 55. And we can see that Mary does not believe that God has a withered arm. She's not doubting. We remember Elizabeth's husband was in the temple when the angel spoke to him about his son John. And he questioned. And the angel said, fine, you won't speak another word until the child's born. And I'll show you that what I say is true. And I'm not sure what the difference was in Zechariah and Mary because she asked the same question when the angel came to her. She said, how can this be? But for some reason, the angel was gracious to Mary and, and explained it to her. He didn't explain it to Zechariah, I guess, because he was a priest. He worked in the temple. He should have known. He should have had the faith. And um, But at any rate, for whatever reason that was, um, Zechariah wasn't allowed to speak until the child was born. But we see that Mary, even though she questioned, she trusted God. And as we read in, in her Magnificat, the, uh, this miraculous power that God used in bringing forth Christ from a virgin, uh, God usually keeps these things in reserve. Uh, God doesn't breathe fire down from heaven on a daily basis. We certainly don't have virgin births. Uh, you know, that, that's not common. Uh, water's not turning into wine every day. These, these types of miracles, uh, God's not speaking to people through burning bushes all the time. He keeps that power in reserve. And I think what happens a lot of times, because that power tends to stay in reserve from these things, that we tend to think that God doesn't have that power anymore. Because we don't see these elaborate miracles, unless you turn on the wrong channel on TV and you're not seeing real miracles in. But... Um, we don't see these things performed anymore, and so we tend to think, you know, that was a different time. God that doesn't have the power to do those things anymore. But notice, if we look down in verses 54 and 55 in Luke chapter 1, what Mary says. It says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. So Mary is acknowledging that God is fulfilling his promise. The promise to Abraham. And she sees it being fulfilled here. And she says this in as much. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. God promised to have mercy. There was always a remnant. And God promised to have mercy. And she says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. So we can see clearly Mary did not think that God had a withered arm. Um, the power that he promised, let's see, what was that? The power he promised to Abraham. God is not finished with that power. The omnipotent creator is still the omnipotent redeemer who has promised a future for his people. And it is guaranteed by the power that God has to perform His Word. We know uh, that Jesus was the God-man. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And we've, we've read today a lot of verses about God's power, about His omnipotence, about His uh, ability to create, to sustain His creation, 
to control his creation. God is still working today. And just as he was present in creation, Christ is, is present with us today. He governs everything that he has created. He is still omnipotent. He is still all-powerful. And he has, the scripture says, the power to save unto the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. The question I want to ask today, have you come to Jesus, as the old song says, for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you repented of your sins? Is he your Lord and your Savior today? He is as close as a prayer. And I pray that you would consider these things today. God is all-powerful. You can put your trust in him. The last verse, a few verses I'm going to read is Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. And they say, What shall we say then to these things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is he who, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation Shall distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sore. And you can inter interject anything you've gone through in your life. Will cancer separate us from the love of God? Will COVID separate us from the love of God? Will the death of a loved one separate us from the love of God? Any kind of distress, financial situations, loss of a job. Where it says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what we need to remember today. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, our Father, our Savior, Lord, you are so powerful. You are so mighty and you are so great. Lord, but you are so loving and so kind. Lord, you are long-suffering towards us, Lord. Father, we just pray that your word today, Lord, would touch the hearts and lives of those that are here, Lord, that we would consider these things, consider your power, consider your glory, Lord, consider all the things that you have done in our life, all the times that we have prayed to you desperately, Lord, for situations in our life and seen those prayers answered. But Lord, why do we waver in our faith? And Lord, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would fill us, Lord, and that you would work in the hearts and lives of everyone here, Lord, if there is anybody here today 
who has not placed their complete faith and trust in you today as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that your spirit would do a work in that heart today. Oh, Lord, open the eyes of that soul, oh, Lord, and bring them to faith today. Father, be with us, Lord, as we leave this building today. I pray that you would be with each and every person here. Lord, be with us this week as we go about our daily lives. Lord, help us not to forget these attributes that we're studying in Sunday school. and What we've learned today, Lord, you are mighty and powerful and good and gracious and loving. And Father, you love sinners and you came to seek and save that which was lost. And Father, we thank you for that salvation today. And we ask all these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Um, turn in your hymn books to, um, let me find it, I'm on the wrong page here. Uh, hymn 189, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Ooh. 